Hello and welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Tony Forge, founder of Four Leaf Consulting. Welcome, Tony. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about the conversation today. Me too. Tony is an attorney, consultant, and speaker for cannabis. She is a master litigator and has come to specialize in social equity licenses and the process to obtain one. She has served as counsel for two social equity incubators in California and is a cannabis technical advisor for the city of Los Angeles. Tony graduated from Hastings Law School and got her BS in business from the University of San Francisco. She works with clients in California and other legal states with local and state licensing requirements, interpreting cannabis regulations, entity selection and formation, operational business strategies, contract negotiation and drafting, arbitration and mediation, litigation, cannabis vendor referrals, and a host of other services. Earlier this year, Tony was nominated as one of WebJoint's Lawyers of the Year. Tony has been a member of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community since day one. In that time, she has garnered an impeccable reputation for being a fierce legal advocate for women and people of color. I'm really looking forward to digging into the topic of social equity in cannabis, and there is no one better to talk about it with than Tony Forge. Tony, you are one of the most respected attorneys that I know in the industry, especially when it comes to social equity. How did you come to work in cannabis, and why did social equity become a focus of your practice? Well, it's so funny, and thank you for the wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. Um, a friend of mine, who's at, was my next door neighbor at the time, uh, Monique, got me into cannabis. I had just finished the last stint of corporate life, and I was just telling her, "I am so tired of this this you know corporate struggle." Um, She said to me, what about cannabis? And this was way in 2016. And I thought, I don't even know anything about cannabis. So she was the one who really educated me. Throughout my life, I have always been this kind of pioneer. And meaning that I've always worked for companies, and this is not necessarily a badge of honor, so don't take it like this, for uh, companies that I was the first Black VP or the first Black regional managing attorney or the first Black, and I don't like that at all times, and especially in cannabis. I thought, wow, this is amazing. And I think it was when I first met you and Simone, when we were seeing the statistics about women in cannabis, and then more specifically about people of color in cannabis, that it was less than 1%. And I thought, this is insane. So you mean to tell me people of color have been incarcerated, they have been, you know, they're still in jail, and they cannot participate in this process. And this process is really just allowed uh, 
for white males. I mean, that was insane to me. And I did not want to be just one of, and unfortunately I, I am kind of one of again for a lot of attorneys of color in this space, but thank God there's so much more of us here. And that's what really dedicated me to communities of color and women in cannabis. I want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity uh, to participate in this process. I think it's just amazing that so many women cannot participate, women of color cannot participate. And so it's kind of been my mission to make sure more of us get in this space. And what I believe is a barrier to entry is just education. We do not know what it entails to, to enter the cannabis space. And so one thing I really try to stress in my practice, and I was like this as a litigator, really being down to earth, really giving you the reality of what it takes to be in cannabis. Then once you have all the information, you can decide what's going to be my game plan. You know, uh, people just assume, as you know, getting money is easy in cannabis and it ain't. It was better in 2016, 2017, but there's been so many examples of people mismanaging money that capital, raising capital has become an issue. Um, and so what my practice is about is eliminating that barrier of entry, trying to educate community of color and women in order to get them to be really successful in the cannabis space. So what is social equity and why is it important? And then what are some of the common issues that states are seeing when they're trying to adopt a social equity program? Um, social equity is really trying to... For those communities that have high uh, arrest conviction rates or arrest rates um, or communities of color that were impacted by a war, the war on drugs, trying to give those communities the opportunity to participate in the cannabis licensing process. And that can look like a, a lot of different ways. So we know that there's grants uh, from the cities and the states for uh, social equity programs. Um, there are allegedly technical assistance programs to help people get, you know, um, their paperwork in order or to have assistance by an attorney or someone to help them with the entire licensing process. Um, but the problem is, um, like I said, really dedicating the funds, the money, the time, and really getting a program together. For instance, in your introduction, you said that I'm part of the Los Angeles Technical Assistance Program. Yes, the group that I'm with is part of that program. We yet have received a call from Los Angeles saying that we're needed. And I know for a fact, because I feel the calls all day long from people who need assistance with getting their licenses here in Los Angeles. So what's wrong with that program? Why isn't the DCR doing anything? And that's the problem with a lot of these cities. But then you have cities like Long Beach um, who are giving grants and money for social equity people, but they don't have a technical assistance program per se. 
So I think the problem with social equity are cities and states need to be dedicated to a program, a fully thought out vetted program where they get a lot of input from social equity applicants, as well as ancillary vendors like myself, people in the industry, and try to come together to figure out how to create a social equity program that really benefits um, people. What I see is people um, who don't know how to do applications, who don't know the law, who say they do. It's very territorial, Kira, right? So it's people trying to get their hands in the pot so they can make money. And it really has nothing to do with helping people. And we really saw this in LA a couple of years back. It was these people who were social equity advocates who said they were helping people, but they were charging people enormous I mean, $8,000 for a reseller's permit that you can call and you don't even need somebody's help. I mean, they were just preying on people, using people. And so that's why I'm not into these individuals who say they're about social equity. It's got to be this team effort. And I think once cities understand that a program uh, needs to be in place and monitored, you got to keep monitoring um, individuals. That's what I think would be successful. So let's drill down into a kind of an actual conflict that we're seeing with social equity in Los Angeles. And I think this is a really interesting example because it's not necessarily one that you would identify on the outside. This will be a problem, um, because, but it is a specific, it specifically kind of sets up two sides of the argument that in looking at it from this bird's eye view, I see potentially really intense tension being created out of this. So last month, MJ Biz Daily did a brief story on a cannabis delivery operator and trade group that's suing LA over their social equity rules. And it states, a marijuana businessman in two trade associations filed suit against Los Angeles, asking a judge to throw out a new city ordinance that devotes all MJ delivery business permits to social equity applicants until 2025. And when I read this, I thought, this is going to be so sticky because on the one hand, you have the city wanting to do justice to those who've been hardest by cannabis prohibition. But on the other hand, you have businesses that have been working towards this goal for years and it effectively limits their ability to grow. And so it's creating this dividing line where you're either pro-social equity or you're pro-business which of course has very intense uh, racial undertones to it. So why did the city decide for it to be an all or nothing proposition? Should it be that way? What are the consequences when it comes to these kinds of equity issues? What's the better solution? Why did the city decide to do this and should it be an all or nothing? So I'm going to go back and redirect you to something you said at the beginning of your statements. And that was, this can increase intense tension. I don't think this increases the tension. The tension has already been there, especially with this, with, and I know what you're saying, it is the all or nothing approach, but the all or nothing approach has been there for months. Let's go back to the whole phase three um, retail 
So I don't know if you know, but phase three, it was the first hundred, you know, first come, first serve. And so that created to me the tension because literally I can tell you 80 percent. No, I'm going to go up 90 percent of people that called me and basically the day or two before the September, I think it was September 5th. 2019 or September 3rd, 2019 deadline had just been contacted by people they were going to do business with. So Kira, they would get the social equity person would get this call. Look, I don't know you, but here I'm going to give you the money in order for you to start your cannabis business. And so you don't have really time to read these contracts. You don't have time to obtain a lawyer. And by the way, you really can't because you can't afford it, nor am I going to pay for that. And so here, start your cannabis business with me. Or our listeners who aren't aware so in California, in LA, in, in LA, the rule was that a, a minority had to be 33% business owner or 51% or 51% had to live in a certain district or have certain qualifications. But those qualifications did not go hand in hand with the ability to finance opening a dispensary. So it made them very vulnerable to this kind of predatory action. Right. And so what creates the tension is lack of money for social equity applicants. That creates the tension. So I don't think that this this does nothing but add to tension that was already there. Um, And so I, I looked I was kind of really shocked by the participants of this lawsuit. And then I wasn't. So the lawsuit is being promoted and you know the the various plaintiffs are the Southern California Coalition. So I was a little surprised with who was leading this lawsuit, uh, the Southern California Coalition and Zach Pitts. And I did a little research about Zach Pitts and who even knew there was a LA Delivery Alliance, but he heads that up. He's also a board member of the SCC, and that makes total sense that SCC would, you know, be doing this lawsuit with him. And he's also on the CCIA retail committee. And so, yes, he definitely has an interest and he's definitely doing this for the other people that are part of the retail, you know, industries that he is part of. Um, and so I get while he's why he's doing it, Kira. I really do, because he's not saying I want social equity to go, but he is saying let the 20 people um, that you said in this ordinance that were non-social equity, let them get a part of the pie. So I get that. But what I don't get is his rationale and SEC's rationale and SEC is being when I'm talking about Adam Spiker, because Adam is saying that people have been waiting since uh, 2018 and this process has just been crazy with, you know, Los Angeles. Um, It's an unreasonable delay. It's the poor handling of the licensing process. It's been all those things since day one. And I mean, for everybody. 
So I get what you're saying, but I don't get your rationale because it has been a shit show for day one for everybody, including the social equity people. The ordinance has been changed time and time again. But the problem is now the ordinance leaves out you, Adam Spiker, and your team until 2025, and it doesn't benefit you. Let's just call a thing a thing, as Ayala says. It doesn't benefit you. And so you have the money, you have the resources to do this lawsuit. And that's what it comes down to. And so, yes, it is creating a tension, but the tension has been there day one. And the tension has been created really by, to me, the city of L.A. They should have done a better job with this entire process. There's no reason why it should be going on and we still have people who applied for phase three last September still do not have licenses to this day. There has been a 10 month lag and it had nothing to do with COVID. Well, something to do with COVID, but it, before COVID hit, nothing was being done. So I, I think the problem and the instigator of the tension really is the city of LA who has not done what it should have done. I, I work with social equity groups in Oakland and there's still the tension, but not to the extent like it is down here in Los Angeles. The difference is you just didn't have these massive, massive delays. You didn't have these predatory practices because look what people did to be first come, first serve, first serve. I knew individuals who were working with these groups that they didn't know, um, who basically had the money that they can do these dedicated lines to get people up on the server quicker. You know, the whole thing just kind of bred this whole um, climate th that was, it was patently predatory and unfair. And that was the difference was the first come first serve was going to make for a shit show anyway. And I don't think that the city should have done it that way. In Oakland, you were given priority. Uh, people who incubated social equity applicants were given priority in their licenses. Um, so there was an incentive to get in business with people, but it wasn't this, okay, all I need is a social equity body and a fast computer, and then we could have a business. It, it it, it was just horrible down here, and it still is horrible. So for states who are now, we've got New Jersey that just voted in legal cannabis last night, Montana, South Dakota, and Arizona. How do you recommend that they approach their social equity programs so they don't have these kinds of issues? I think you really have to sit down and have a conversation. I, I Now what's happened in California, I think we have a lot of good information, right? We can see how some cities like Long Beach, I was speaking with um, someone from the city of Long Beach. And when they said they actually called or contacted to their social equity applicants to see what they needed, I thought, 
oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> but they wanted that feedback. And that sounds like something so simple, but I, you know, it was the greatest thing because at least you took time to contact your social equity people and, and have a conversation with them. And like I said, in Long Beach, I know social equity applicants who got grant money. Oh my God. So at least that's leveling the playing field so they don't have to fall for all these predatory practices because at least they have money to contact an attorney or a consultant to help them with their documents as well as properties. So these other states really need to have conversations and sit down and get a lot of information from consultants, attorneys, social equity applicants, groups to really get the feedback to see what works, what doesn't work. Money is a huge thing. You need to have grant money for social equity applicants first and foremost. That has got to be important. A technical assistance program, you need that. You need to give, amazingly enough, Kira, people get in these programs and don't have any idea how to A, run a business or run a cannabis business education. You've got to educate people. So when you're looking at these other states, I would say it's a three-part plan right out the gate. Grant money to social equity applicants, educational programs for social equity applicants about how to run a business as well as a cannabis business, and technical programs and assistance for them to help them with their entity formation as well as their licensing documents. So what I'm hearing is that there it's a very local experience, right? LA has decided what their social equity terms are. Oakland has decided what theirs are. Where does the state weigh in on social equity and where does the local jurisdiction weigh in? Well, I know the state has given grant money, for example, to Los Angeles and to different social equity programs. And so... Los Angeles has the grant money. So where is the grant money? Why isn't it being distributed? And why isn't it being used for the social equity purpose? And there is a timeline on this. I keep hearing that all these monies have to be utilized by next year. And so my question to the city is, well, why aren't we getting some of these programs in place in order for people who really need the money to use the money. Because remember, Kira, in Los Angeles, you had to have a property. So people have been paying a property for a year, a year and a half, two years. And that's money that's just going out of the toilet, you know? So either... I thought maybe change the ordinance, say you don't need a property or use some of this money for social equity to help people retain their properties. So my question is, I know the state is, or my answer is, I know the state is getting involved. The state has given money to local municipalities, but what are they doing with this? And so in the city of Long Beach, for example, I know clients who have received social equity applicants who have received money. So the state is giving money to local municipalities for these programs. I am not sure what is going on. It seems like some cities are 
giving that money out. But I can tell you with the city of LA, we're still waiting for so many programs to happen. We're waiting for the social equity, technical assistance, and we're waiting for the grant money to go out. It always comes down to money, doesn't it, Tony? Yes! Yes! <laughs> it is! It always comes down to money. And it just, oh, you know, and, and the current climate that we're in, you know, just festers all of this. Um, you know, we're still stressed out trying to figure out about the election. We have the whole notion of systemic racism always going around. And so this just kind of feeds into this climate. And unfortunately, this lawsuit feeds into this climate. It feeds into, see, you know, everything was fine when we were getting preyed on as social equity applicants and all of this. And now that we have this ordinance that's kind of just for us to give us a little leverage and see now they have a problem with it. And even though it's, again, to be fair, it's not saying eliminate social equity. It's, it's saying just add non-social equity. The thought is still there. See, we can't even have a little bit of something for ourselves. So maybe it's an okay lawsuit at the wrong time. This ain't the time for all of this to be happening. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I felt when I read that as well, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it because it's, it may just be, you know, an isolated lawsuit in LA, but it kind of speaks to this greater tension that we have at large. And as each of these states and many of these states are red states that have just legalized cannabis. Absolutely. What is that going to do to the racial tensions in that community as they try to make sure that people who have been disenfranchised and marginalized by cannabis prohibition can actually participate in the industry? Yes. And I see, I wish I could just talk about red states, but it isn't. It's these blue states along, you know, our corridor here on the West Coast. I follow this on, on Facebook called Blacks and Cannabis, and they're talking about the things that are happening in Washington state and being not part of the program, people really trying to fight uh, communities of color to be to have not even social equity programs to be part of the conversations, a part of the licensing conversations. So this is a struggle with people of color in cannabis. That's the bigger issue. And then the subsection of that is social equity. But, you know, you brought up a good point. What is it going to look like in Mississippi? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. What is that going to look like? Um, because we see there's so many of us not being able to, to participate in blue states. So what are these red states going to look like? But you brought up an excellent point. It, it's going to be interesting. Um, so again, this is a larger conversation and the larger conversation is really getting communities of color to the playing field. And so when I'm talking about communities of color, I'm just not saying black folks. I'm saying, you know, Latinos. I'm talking about, you know, um, everyone, everyone that hasn't been there and including women. You know, you know how difficult it is. And so, you know, good thing that we have a group like yours to help support us, but still the same issues, a lot of issues out there. 
So you have the opportunity to work with a lot of clients in the licensing process. And I'm curious, given what we've just talked about, the challenges, what are you seeing as some of the opportunities for women, especially women of color in cannabis? So we've, we've talked about the biggest challenges. Obviously, number one is money, 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 money. What are the opportunities that we're looking at? I think the opportunity is to work together. I have a really good girlfriend in the space and we were helping somebody else, a tier one applicant. And she was like, we have got to get behind her. And so we created almost our little intellectual pod and to promote her, help her with the process, help her to get through, and then adding other people to that pod, other vendors of color, other other marketing people of color, other women, everything else. So the opportunity is there for us to work collectively. I think that is going to have to happen because you know how difficult it is in this business. I mean, Unless, even with the people with a lot of money. So we see what happened with Genius Fund. We see what happened with Med Men. I mean, just pissing away money, <laughs> not millions going away. You, The opportunity is there for us to work together and work as a collective. It sounds very cliche, I know, but that is the only way I am seeing people survive by working with their network and their tribe and really having that tribe support them and move forward. So really, like I said, it, it sounds kind of cliche, but it really is women working together. And we're, we're really in, in kind of my professional group trying to do what we can to support um, those people of color in the space in L.A., Um, and kind of work outside the system, right? So there's supposed to be a technical assistance program, but we're trying to say, look, if you need help with something, call these people, or if you were sharing information. Um, It's really kind of the time for everybody to dig in and help uh, as much as we can within groups because we're seeing that we're not going to get the help from the city we were told we were going to get. It's just not happening. I really like what you're saying because it is a solution in the face of what seems like an insurmountable wall. I have no money. There's no money available. There's money there, but I can't get to it. That can just stop a woman dead in her tracks in building her business. And especially if you're getting into a licensed situation because it is expensive. Yes, And there are not large pools of families that you can do the friends and family raise from. So we really have to rely on each other. And it reminded me that I gave my dispensary application, which was 400 pages to (laughs) a friend of ours who is applying for a social equity license to just help get her one more tool that she wouldn't now have to spend time and money on. And I, you know, I'm sure she had to make changes, but having that as a, a basis to start what you're doing means that there, we just took some bricks out of that wall. 
Absolutely. Or we're putting people together. So, you know, there's people that I had in Northern California who would have, let's say, a delivery license. And I had a client here in Southern California that wanted a delivery license. They were able to get in business together. She moved up north and now they're working on it together, a successful delivery business. She bought into the company and it was a vehicle for her to get in. Right. And then it was a, a, a the time where he could get some additional capital, but he wasn't working that license. And now he's working that license. You got to be creative about how to do this together. Because I think, as you know, everybody thought that LA was going to be the biggest cannabis economy in the world. And now it's not that. It's shambles. The black market is killing out here. And that's because LA can't get their shit together and they have got to. And so when that doesn't happen, you have to think creatively how to how to go beyond that, how to work around that. I love it. Well, ladies, you heard it here first. Well, <laughs> you didn't hear it here first, but this <laughs> suggestion is truly, it backs up everything that I have been trying to establish with women empowered in cannabis, that we are better together. Yes. But I had not put the pieces together in this way. And it is so important. So ladies, if you're listening and you are looking at a social equity license in your state, consider creating a pod. If you are someone who has a license and who has more opportunity and privilege, consider providing services and support to a woman who's looking to get a social equity license because we have to link arms and do this together. This We talk about how much we want to create a space for women to succeed, but we have to do more than just talk. We have to step up and find the women who actually need us and link arms and support each other because the money path is not how we're going to succeed. We are going to spend a lot of time and energy going after money that we're not going to get standing by the door, waiting for it to open. And it's not going to happen. We can do this in other ways. Thank you so much for that incredible inspiration, Tony. That, that I love that. Thank you. And that's for, you know, I just don't want to limit our li our listeners just to social equity folks, right? We want to work together, all of us. We're going to all need one another. Um, even in the CBD space, you know, we leave our CBD sisters out, but they are having a rough time too. Um, we don't have that federal direction like we thought we would uh, by this time. So, in, in all kinds of spaces, hemp, CBD, and cannabis, we've got to work collectively together. For those of you ladies who are listening, um, who are considering the social equity path, please look into joining uh, the Women Empowered in Cannabis, Women of Color group, because I think that that's a really great place to start that conversation and to look for the help that you need. And just like Tony said, it isn't just about social equity. We need to help each other in all areas. And that is what Women Empowered in Cannabis is has been created to be able to do. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tony. Thank you for your time and for sharing your journey and your knowledge with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody be safe. Ladies, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, please go to our website, womenempoweredincannabis.com, and find your group, Supply Chain, CBD and Hemp, 
and our recently launched Women of Color group. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. And if you're getting bored during COVID and want to connect with other women in a virtual social setting, then check out House of Jane, a collaboration event between Women Empowered in Cannabis and Tokativity. We host a salon-style event the second Wednesday of each month. RSVP now at houseofjane.com. And join us next week for another conversation with women leading in cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.